0: Last Sunday morning, as most of you are aware, we began a new series of studies entitled You Cannot Be Serious. And we're looking at the Ten Commandments over these next probably ten or eleven Sundays, depending on how fast I get through them on Sunday morning. So you and I both know it's going to be eleven Sundays, probably. And we are starting, of course, as we did last Sunday morning at Exodus chapter 20, And reading the first eight verses. Last Sunday morning we focused on, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And that helped us put the Ten Commandments in their context. And we focused quite naturally on the First Commandment. And today we're looking at the Second Commandment. You shall not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything. And so that's where we're going in our study this morning. And as we get further and further into that study, we'll be talking about why the second commandment is relevant for us in a 21st century context. So let's begin. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading of his holy word. Now, one of the things we intentionally do on Sunday morning is that when we open up and begin to explore a passage of Scripture together, we slow down, we take our time, we begin to ask ourselves several questions which I'm about to highlight. Because we know that when we slow down and begin to immerse ourselves in a passage of Scripture When we begin to read it carefully, it gives us so much more than if we simply casually read on through, giving it little more than a cursory glance. In fact, to help me illustrate this, I came across this last week I thought I would share with you. Yesterday at the lunch counter, I said to the young man serving me, I would like to buy a ham and cheese baguette with pickles. And he responded saying, I'm sorry, we only take cash or credit cards. <laughs> Thank you, about three of you got that and the rest of you missed it. Now have a look at it again. Yesterday at the lunch counter I said to the young man serving me, I would like to buy a ham and cheese baguette with pickles. And he responded by saying, I'm sorry, we only take cash or credit cards. In other words, you can't buy a ham and cheese baguette with pickles. You've got to have cash or a credit card. Now, if I have to explain it a third time, I think I'm losing this. So let's just agree that it's quite funny. And let's also agree that not only is it funny, it takes a little time to understand exactly what's going on. Because when you come to it, you initially interpret it in one way, and in fact, it means something else entirely. And that's one of the reasons we pause and stop and take our time on Sunday mornings. That's why we immerse ourselves intentionally in passages of Scripture that speak into our lives. Now, I suspect most of you are educated enough in biblical studies to know that within biblical studies there is a classification or a discipline called hermeneutics. And I've mentioned this in the past, so please forgive me if this is redundant. And hermeneutics is in essence the interpretation of a passage of scripture. And at times it can become a little complicated or complex. But many years ago, I came across four questions that help us understand a passage of Scripture whenever we come to it. And I've mentioned these before, so let me reiterate them again. And if you're seeing it for the first time, or you're watching from home for the first time, it might be worth jotting these down. And whenever we come to a passage, we ask ourselves, number one, what does the passage actually say? And by that, I mean not... Do we think we know what it says, but what does it actually say? What does it actually say as opposed to what have we been taught in the past? What has been previous experience? What is our tradition? But asking, what does the passage actually say? second question we ask is, what does the passage say about God? Sometimes I will hear folks say, when it comes to understanding a passage, well, actually, what this passage means to me is a good comment, but it's not the first question or comment. What it means to you is always interesting, but what does it mean is the primary question we ask. So we ask, what does the passage actually say then? What does the passage say about God? Because quite naturally, we put him first. Number three, what does the passage say about me? Not the first question, but the third question. And then the fourth question, is there something I should do? And so that ties up both interpretation and application. Four simple, helpful questions. I've used it over the years, still use it as a helpful tool whenever I come to a passage of Scripture. And we're going to look at some of those questions and apply them directly as we come to our passage this morning. In this second commandment, you shall make for yourself no idols. Now remember the context in which God is giving the commandments. It happens at Mount Sinai when Moses engages with God and God gives him the Ten Commandments. The broader context, of course, is the emancipation of the people of Israel. Most of you are aware that there are four major events in the book of Exodus. And it's helpful to have these in our minds. And the first major event in Exodus, or the first major, well in fact it's a series of events, major theme I suppose, or motif you could say, is the birth, upbringing and call of Moses. As everything else in Exodus flows from these events. The second is this, the Passover, Emancipation, and redemption of God's people from bondage and slavery. And we've already touched on that, so you're aware that's another of the major themes. And then, of course, thirdly, the giving of the Ten Commandments at Sinai, which we're looking at now. And the fourth major event in Exodus is the building of the tabernacle where the presence of God was encountered. And when you think of the tabernacle, think of a large tent possibly about half the size of this room. And it was a tent set aside for worship, and in that tent was the Ark of the Covenant, and inside the Ark of the Covenants the original stone on which the Ten Commandments were written. And so the tabernacle was specifically thought of as containing the presence of God. Of course, God is so much greater than the tabernacle, but when folks wanted to gather to worship him, seek his presence, as we do on Sunday morning, they would enter the tabernacle. So that's the four main events that help us understand all that takes place in Exodus. And as each of these events... Unfold in Exodus, each of the events highlight for us, and this is the point I want you to get the character and nature of God, and the commandments do exactly the same each time we come to a commandment, we see innate to each commandment the character and nature of God. We saw it last week when God said. I am the Lord, your God. And that first commandment was built and developed on a relationship between a loving heavenly father and his children. And we're about to see it again in the second commandment, which highlights the character and nature of God. Now, you may be sitting there this morning and saying, "Okay, Richard, I hear what you're saying appreciate what you're saying on sunday morning i always learn something else and it encourages and inspires me to live out my faith during the week but i have to tell you that richard since this time last sunday i've struggled with the second commandment and i've struggled for the set with the second commandment for this reason that I don't think in the next seven to ten days I have any intent of going home and creating a clay idol or a deity made of wood or stone. And I don't imagine that I'm going to actually bow down and worship a God created in my own image. I don't think that's going to be the case. So where is the relevance of the second commandment? It simply doesn't apply to me and Richard if you really back me into a corner I probably well I might not say this but I might think it if we've only got 10 number two feels a little redundant quite honestly and so I'm kind of struggling this morning to say how can the second commandment be relevant to me in any way that's a great question Now, when Jesus was asked about the relevance of the commandments for his day, this is what he said. He said, do not think that I have to come to abolish the law, and the law, of course, includes the Ten Commandments. So he says, please don't think I have coming to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now notice where that comes from. It comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 19, which lie at the very center of the Sermon on the Mount. And in fact, the passages that come immediately after this, Jesus talks about do not murder, do not steal, so on and so forth. And in fact, the Sermon on the Mount is an exposition of the Ten Commandments. And Jesus is saying they are every bit as applicable today as they were back then. Now, why is he saying that? He's saying it for this reason. That when... You come across a passage in Scripture that talks about the law. There are various definitions of the law. And within the law, you have, of course, the Ten Commandments. But there are multiple other commandments relating to dietary restrictions, sacrifices in the temple, what kind of clothes to wear, and certain types of prayers to say at certain times each day. Old Testament scholars will talk to us about the law and they will say that within the law you have what's called the ceremonial law. And the ceremonial law address exactly those issues of dietary restrictions, sacrifices in the temple, what to wear, when to wear it, what to pray, when to pray. And the Old Testament scholars will say that the law was given so that individual could show obedience to the purposes of God by living out their faith day by day by day and doing certain things at certain times. In other words, they were offering up a sacrifice not simply in the temple but with their daily obedience and adherence to all that God has called them to. In other words, there was a ritualistic living out of their faith. Now, you may be saying, okay, Richard, I get this, and I understand, I think, the ceremonial law, that's helpful. But why don't we practice the ceremonial law today? If the commandments are never to be done away with, and Jesus said it, they will never not uh, jot or a tittle will be taken away at any point until it is fulfilled why do we not dress a certain way today why don't we have dietary restrictions why don't we ask for certain prayers at certain times each day and we don't do that for this reason because when jesus was born into our world God Himself came into our world that we might know Him, and then He offered at Calvary the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. And now that the perfect sacrifice has been offered, there is no longer any need to adhere to the ceremonial law. It's redundant. It's been fulfilled. So when Jesus says, I have come to fulfill the law, he's meaning all of the day-to-day ceremonial law is no longer applicable to the Christian today because it has been fulfilled in Christ through his own body, sacrificed for us at Calvary. That's what's going on. And so the ceremonial law no longer applies to us today. And now you're saying, okay, Richard, I think I get that too. I understand that he offered up himself on behalf of our sins, and I get that. And I see the point. Ceremonial law is no longer applicable. Well, if the ceremonial law is no longer applicable, why are the Ten Commandments no longer applicable? Come on, you can't have it both ways. Well, allow me to respond if I may. Also within the law, not only do you have the ceremonial law, you also have what's called the moral law. And the Ten Commandments have a major focus on the moral law. And so when God says you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, that is what's called the moral law. And the moral law is never done away with because... It is about living out your faith day by day by day. And if you were with us last Sunday morning, you remember we said that with Christian belief comes Christian behavior. And that's why Christians today, given that the ceremonial law no longer applies, the moral law absolutely does. And as Christian people, we are utterly convinced. And the scripture is clear that morals are matter remember the phrase with christian faith or christian belief comes christian morals the living out of our faith christian behavior and so it does apply to us today and that's why it's important now having said all of that you may now be saying okay richard i think i'm with you but let me interrupt once again i understand ceremonial law i understand moral law But let me ask, how is the second commandment applicable? Because I'm not going to make a clay god and bow down and worship. I can see moral law and I understand ceremonial law no longer being applicable, but how does the second commandment apply to me? Well, I wonder if the second commandment was written with a much greater intent than simply creating a clay idol or a god of wood or stone and then worship what we created. I think the scripture is clear. And as God is giving to Moses the second commandment, he's giving it to him on a much grander scale than we initially imagined. Here we are having an illustration of the second commandment, what it means But it also has a much greater, wider, broader meaning. But you may also be saying, Okay, Richard, before you go any further, let me push a little more. The second commandment clearly is about worship. So, what does it really matter if someone prefers to worship and include a picture or a statue, or their personal tradition or taste, if it brings them closer to God, why is it a problem? Why do we have a said commandment? Well, let me try and explain. I wonder if you've ever been in the position, as I suspect a number of you have, and you're having a conversation perhaps with a colleague at work, a family friend, someone in your neighborhood, And the topic of God comes up. Maybe it's in a small Bible study group. And you come to a passage of Scripture that describes the character and nature of God. Someone in the group or in the conversation says, Do you know, I'm not sure I agree with that. Quite honestly, I prefer to think of God in this way. When someone says, I prefer to think of God in this way, what they are doing is creating in their own mind an image of God that, well, kind of suits them. An image that they are comfortable with. An image that they approve of. One that they think, yeah, I could accept that. And can you see what's happening The same word is used, image and imagine. And I like to think of God like this, rather than like that. And then we find ourselves stepping over the line and saying, well, I much prefer him to be a father than a judge. I much prefer him to be a loving and gracious God rather than one who corrects. I much prefer him to focus on my happiness rather than my holiness. And when we create God in our own image, we cross the line which says, this is what God is like, as opposed to how I prefer him. Let me see if I can illustrate this. In the closing chapter of Luke's Gospel, on Easter Sunday afternoon, two disciples were walking from Jerusalem to a small village called Aeneas. It's somewhere between seven and eight miles outside Jerusalem. And as they're walking and talking about what had happened over the last few days since Good Friday, Jesus himself meets them and walks along beside them. And Luke is absolutely clear in the narrative. And he says, but they were kept from recognizing him. And as they walk and talk, he begins to ask them question after question after question. and He says, now, I hear you talking what has happened? And they look at him and say, are you the only person in Jerusalem who does not know what has happened in these days? And he goes on and says, well, what things? And they begin to explain. They talk about Jesus of Nazareth, and we thought that he had come to deliver us. We thought he was the Messiah. And Then we read these words. And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets... He explained to them all that scripture had said about him. And he revealed to them that the Messiah must suffer and die. Now, folks, there's a world of a difference between imagination and revelation. And revelation is this, that when we open up the Word of God each Sunday morning, and God speaks to us from its pages, and He speaks into our lives, and as He speaks into our lives, He brings with that voice deep, profound conviction and revelation at times revealing to to us His overwhelming love and grace, His sustaining and enabling to live out the Christian life, a call for obedience and holiness and purity, along with encouraging a desire for prayer and intimacy and seeking the presence of God. And all of that happens as we open up Scripture because it is God's revealed Word to us. And it is always so much better to worship him as he truly is rather than seek to imagine what he might be like. And there is indeed a world of a difference between revelation and imagination. And it's the word we find here in the second commandment. Do not make... An image. Don't imagine what he's like. In other words, get to know him as he truly, fully, really is. That's the point. That's why Jesus explained to them in the road to Emmaus. He revealed from Scripture what had taken place. And occasionally, when we come to the second commandment, we see the application To worship. And this is where the relevance begins because when someone says, okay, Richard, I hear what you're saying, I understand the difference between imagination and revelation, I think I'm beginning to understand the second commandment at a whole new level, and thank you for that, and I'll be careful. But how does it apply to worship? Because we don't bow down to any craven image, we don't make an idol of wood or stone or clay. So, How does it apply to us today? Because earlier you took a good five or seven minutes to explain why the commandments are relevant, why they're not done away with, and I get that, but how does it realistically apply to us today? Well, let me make this application. That occasionally, like you, I will hear someone say, or involved in a conversation, someone will say to me, do you know I got nothing out of that worship service this morning. It just did nothing for me. Now hold that image in your mind. Let me come over here. And we'll push back against that. Sadly, at times, it's an all too common phrase. And when someone says, I got nothing out of it, they're implying that somehow... Worship should be designed in order to satisfy the individual's personal taste. But worship was never designed in that manner. It's intentionally designed to focus on God, not on the individual's personal taste. Week by week, we intentionally go about designing worship that highlights Him and His love and His grace and the glorification of Him. And we come with thankful, grateful hearts. And so when someone says, I got nothing out of it, the question is, did you in fact put anything into it? Did you come with a sense of expectation? Did you come with a prayerful heart saying, Lord, speak to me from the pages of your word. Teach me, encourage me, strengthen me, equip me to get to know you in that richer, deeper, fuller way. Grant to me the great intimacy with you that I long for. world of difference between I got nothing out of it as opposed to putting something into it. That's what's going on here. Don't put self first, God second. Because when we find ourselves there, we end up focusing on and describing the feelings of the worshipper rather than the character and nature and attributes of God. When we come on a Sunday morning, we are meeting with, as her, as historical creeds and confessions have told us, He who is eternal, and infinite, immeasurable, incomprehensible, and omnipotent, and changing in His being and wisdom and power and holiness and justice and goodness and love and truth. That is who we have come to worship. That is why we intentionally take this time to divest ourselves of the busyness and activities of the week before and focus on Him and Him alone. Because we know this, that in worship, prayer becomes unhindered and authentic and credible. And the layers of our hearts and souls are peeled back and exposes the hidden recesses of our lives. And in genuine heartfelt worship, there are no areas of limits. It's in worship that commitment is birthed and sustained and perseverance is tempered with grace. It's in worship that our prayers enable us to trust Him at an everly more increasing level. It is in worship that we pour out The concerns and needs and hurts and disappointments of our lives. And it's in worship we meet with Him who is eternal and infinite. And so when we are tempted to think the second commandment has nothing to say, it doesn't apply to us, it has no relevance in a 21st century setting. In fact, when we actually engage with worship, then our hearts soar heavenwards, then... He empties us of those concerns and hurts and He brings healing and wholeness. And then we find the heart soaring heavenwards and singing, crown Him with many crowns. The Lamb upon the throne and we are lost in wonder, love and praise. That's where worship is and that's why the commandment says... Do not create anything else in my place, but come to know me and love me as I truly am, because when you do, I bring about your highest good and greatest blessing. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture this morning. Thank you for its challenge upon our lives. And enable us, please, O God, that this week, to remember to put you first in our lives, ourselves second. And enable us, please, as we worship you, to experience your touch which brings to us and satisfies the deepest longings of our life that is to glorify you and enjoy you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.